Welcome to episode number 40 of the Born Again Bowhunting Podcast. Uh, we're continuing our turkey series and we are speaking with Nick Miller from the Venari Effect. Um, just be aware in the podcast, Nick is in a, he's kind of redoing part of his house right now. So he, he's in a room where there's lots of echoes and stuff like that. So just take that into consideration for the, um, the audio on this one. But we had a really good time talking to Nick and these boys went down to Kentucky and it looks like they killed a bunch of birds here. So, um, feel free to go over to their page, show them some love, like their pictures and, uh, all right, let's get into it. So we're, we're a Christian um, group of guys, and we're all followers of Christ, and I do want to talk a little bit about this. And I look up, and he's trying to put the camera on, and I go, he's 72 My strategy was totally different. I just got up these areas, and I knew the terrain features I wanted to hunt. I think that I would rather use a scrape line because I imagine that there's more bucks hitting a scrape line because the line's longer. <laughs> <laughs> and actually lay eyes on the property first and then start you know, doing my e-scouting whenever I actually knew what it was that I was looking at. I think our deer at home have bigger ranges than we want to admit. Just I, because of the more pressure. I 100% agree. Brad it up, Kevy. Send us home, baby. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Born Again Bowhunting Podcast. On this week, we are continuing our turkey series, yep. and we have Nick Miller on the on Zoom tonight. So how's it going tonight, Nick? It's going pretty well, man. Turkey season is upon us. It Super is. Super stoked. How you guys doing? Not too bad. It's We're good. It's been uh, been nice out, and you've been thinking about turkey hunting, that's for sure, with this these warm days. Everything's kind of greening up, so... It's coming. Isn't it crazy how quick it greens up? It's like you just wake up one morning and it's a different. It, it is. The woods are just totally different. It is. And and it's like, you know, you can see straight through, like in my area, you can see up the hill and through the woods. And then, you know, in a week from now, you're not going to be able to see 30 feet up in the, yep. in the, the, the woods. It's gonna just going to so take yep. over. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which I actually love for turkey hunting, which I'm sure we'll get into, but I like when it gets, gets a little thicker. Yeah. 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 Makes it you know easier to call in a bird i'm sure you guys they actually, can't see you. you guys actually just got back or just went on a trip or or no, no we, well we were uh we were out of state doing we were actually doing some deer scouting some okay that's what it was i remember okay. seeing we always we always try to plan it where it's late enough where you're shed hunting but it's early enough where you can go listen to some birds too gotcha. so gotcha. yeah a couple of weeks ago i think yeah because i remember i remember seeing you guys like have some pictures of like some camp and stuff like that and i mm-hmm. yeah. i just assumed it was turkey related because that's what you guys are crazy about but yeah so. yeah yeah we'll be heading out we'll be heading out this weekend i'm gonna be a little late to the little late to the party i got a bachelor party to attend first but the other guys are all heading out tomorrow um so you guys going from down tomorrow down. on we'll be we'll Sorry. be hitting it pretty hard you guys going down to kentucky then obviously yeah yeah we got a big trip planned to maine too uh oh really in may so that should be a, that should be a fun one That'd yeah we're gonna cool. take my my dad so just trying to you know see some different parts of the different parts of the country yeah that's really cool. cool that's really cool well, so we, we had you on a podcast earlier, but we've kind of mixed it up since then. So we have new icebreaker questions. So we'll go ahead and answer, uh, ask those questions. Yeah, go for it. So during the hunting season, what's your go-to drink? You know, it could be an energy drink, water, coffee, coffee. you name it. So Milk. I'm going to give you a boring answer, and then I'm going to give you my new answer. <laughs> not 
not to share too much information, but I have a lot of stomach issues. So I'm a water guy. I drink a lot of water, but I will tell you, um, I can't remember who turned me on to these and it might've even been my girlfriend, but have you heard of the Alani energy drinks? I have not. No, no. I think they're relatively new, um, but I'm not a big energy drink guy. Truthfully, I don't really like the flavor of a lot of them, but yeah. she turned me on to those. And if I need a quick, you know, quick jump in the morning, I, I like slamming one of those. So yeah. those will be in our cooler uh, in hunt camp for sure. But typically, I'm a water guy. I'm pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with little H2O. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, question number two is what is your bow setup? So I'm shooting a, a PSE right now. Um, Evo NXT, I think that came out in 2020, maybe I want to say. So, um, been shooting that for a while. I switched back. I was shooting the drive, uh, the PSE drive, um, for a couple of years there, but, but switched back to this upcoming post season. So okay. I shoot a lot, but I'm not, I think we talked about this when, when I was on talking about deer hunting, uh, with, with Zach a little bit, I'm not super like into, you know, all the gizmos and gadgets and the setups, man, if I can shoot. 30 yards in, I'm thrilled, and yeah. everything else, <laughs> I don't worry about. Yeah. We need to get you guys back to shooting some of the OAA stuff. I remember a couple years back, you guys were, you came to come of the, excuse me, you guys came to some of the shoots, and uh, we, yeah. we need to get you guys back. Yeah, that was fun. We I used to do it a bunch as a kid. We would go everywhere uh, yeah. traveling to those, those tournaments and then got away from it. And then we went to a couple that year that one with you. That was a good time. Yeah, I haven't been, man, I don't know if I've been since, but... Yeah, we'd love to. Maybe break the ice the, yeah. this summer, get everybody together and go have fun. Yeah. That'd be a good time. Um, yeah, that'd be a good time. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. And then, so the final question is, uh, what's your favorite trail camera that you're running? So that, I would say that changed this year. Um, I don't think I've ever run Bushnells, but uh, a friend of mine bought me a Bushnell Cellu4. I think it's Cellu420. Um, and I love those things. Haven't had any problem with the battery. Super easy setup. I'm not a techie guy at all. So a lot of that stuff comes easy to people. It doesn't come easy to me. I'm a boomer. But setting that thing up was cake. Yeah. Um, getting pictures right now as we speak. I got a couple of them out, out back here. Um, so I really like the, the Bushnell Cellucors. I was running covert trail cameras prior to that um, pretty much exclusively. And I, I didn't have any problem with those. I think, you know, solid cameras. But uh, we bought a whole a whole fleet of those cameras after just trying the, the one out. Yeah, so. very cool. That's cool. That's a, yeah, we haven't heard that one. No, yet. that's a new answer. So that's a cool yeah. one. Yeah. I don't even know what like I know a lot of guys love the um uh Tacticams, obviously those those sub cams. Easton has a handful of those. Corey has a handful. They love those. I don't have any personally, mm-hmm. but uh yeah, I, I really like the Bushnells. Yeah. I know yeah. they've kind of been they've kind of been uh in the limelight after ATA because I came out with that one that you can live the stream. Live, yeah. 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 So causing all the drama <laughs> yeah probably taking some heat from some people but i'm i'm kind of one of those you could take it or leave it type guys i'm yeah. not against them use them i don't think it's killing a ton of deer sure there's going to be a one-off situation where you know, a guy slips in because of it and gets one but you know right. i take it or leave it in my opinion i mean there's nobody been in this room or you know on the team that's got a sell picture and then went out and killed a deer so i mean yeah. It's, it's yeah, I think hard that, to, I think that argument is like uh it's not valid in my opinion. Like I'm sure there are some outliers, but uh, the argument that like most guys will have with oh, you get a picture while sitting on your couch and then you go out there and kill him. I'd love to see him yeah. actually do that. You know, yeah. and I'm sure some of the people listening to this podcast are like, oh, I've you know, I've I've heard that a few times on social media and it's like 
you know, I'd I'd love the opportunity for those people that that say that to actually try because, in my opinion, I just think that it, it they're still the, a wild animal. You the know conditions what I mean? would have to be ideal for that yep. to happen. You know, you get a picture, you go out. Maybe it's during gun season and he's you know in this opening or something like that, and you can slip up in there. But nine times out of ten, that's not that ain't happening. Case. No, not the case. I, I agree. I mean. I know we're going to talk about turkeys with turkeys. I, I can see it. You have a cell cam over a field with good access, and you get a cell cam pick, you could probably pop up and blast yeah, you, it. You could, deer, deer are too smart, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think you could bushwhack a turkey, but but honestly, you could be doing that glassing. You could be doing that driving your yeah. truck down the road. Like, I mean, it's it's a valid it's a valid point that you bring up, but I I don't think it's a valid argument because it's like. You know, turkeys, they strut in, in areas where hens can see them, right? Like, they want to yep. be seen. And it's like, it's it's just kind of, like, obvious that, you know, not to go down. We'll get out of that rabbit hole because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could go for hours on that. Let's get into the turkey talk. Yeah. All right, so okay. let's go back to the podcast. It's probably why people are tuning in. Yep. So we have Nick on. And um, why don't you give uh, the, the listeners that maybe don't know who you are a little bit about your brand, where you're from, you know, some just some little details, and then we can get into the turkey stuff. Sure. So Nick Miller, born and raised Central Ohio. Um, my brother and then our, our good buddies Easton and Corey, we run a YouTube social media channel called The Venari Effect. Um, videos, pictures, you know, whatever. Just strictly do it for fun. Um, you know, we really enjoy it. We really enjoy documenting the hunts, capturing, you know, wildlife photography, videography, whatever. Um, We've been getting more and more into like the habitat side of things. Uh, we've been messing with a lot of uh, habitat improvements and things like that. I'm really, I'm really starting to enjoy that side of things a lot more than the hunting, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, I've been been doing this stuff my whole life. Grew up in a hunting family. Um, was fortunate to to have a dad that you know took us out often as kids. Been turkey hunting almost as long as we've been deer hunting. Um, Back before, there was a lot, you know, there wasn't too many guys in, in my specific area doing it, but uh, it's definitely gaining a lot of a lot of popularity. Um, so, so yeah, just pretty ate up with all this stuff, and uh, thanks, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so if you guys don't know, these boys kill some turkeys, yeah. like, every single year. And, um, of course, uh, we sat back, what, probably a month ago, Kev? Maybe a little bit longer ago, and we said we wanted to do a turkey series, mm-hmm. and like you guys were one of the first ones that came to our minds. Yep, we're like we got to get we got to get the Venari effect on because you guys, I mean, you guys get after it. Yeah, you guys love it. I mean, you guys are like so ate up with it that it's not just the hunting aspect, but it's like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the preserving it for for future, and you know, like obviously the turkey population is declining. And, you know, a lot of people can argue one way or the other, but, you know, everybody has their opinion, but there's really not like a set in stone answer on why it's happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's, like I said, there's different opinions, but I'm excited to get into that a little bit and then we'll get into some tactics and we'll just, we'll just go with it. Yeah. So. Okay. Which I know you guys said earlier that you're not turkey hunters and you guys are. You guys have laid them down in the last, last few years, few years you're not giving yourself enough credit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I'll be honest. We're we're bushwhackers. Um, I my calling extent is not. I can call a bird. Excuse me, I have a little white noise in my headphones, so I can call a bird. But like, my extent of turkey hunting is bushwhacking birds. So 
And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie about that. <laughs> hey, there's more than one way to skin a cat. But I know, I know like I'm pulling up my show notes right now, yeah. but I know that, uh, I know like black, he, he's really good at calling and he really likes to work birds where I'd rather, you know, get between where they want to go or like, you know, belly crawl through a field. Like that's how I like turkey hunting, but that's just my, that's just my opinion. So I can't find the show notes. I got a question for you. So when you're going into like a new area and you want to look for birds, are you map scouting first and then going into an area? And what are you looking for in those areas? Are you looking for a trained feature? Are you looking for, you know, fields, you know, I guess, how do you pick a, pick a spot and go tackle it? Sure. Uh, I would say where I hunt here and where I'm going up hunting is going to be completely different than when we're going on like some of these out of state trips. If I'm going out of state, I'm, I'm getting on the maps. And I'm not really looking for a terrain feature first. It's more so I'm, I need to find a big block of public somewhere that I personally think is maybe either not accessed by people um, or harder to access by people. Maybe mm-hmm. I can get to it by boat or something else, something creative. Um, as far as the terrain, I was just talking about this with somebody this morning. The terrain where I find most turkeys is big. Well, again, this is going to vary, but like in this area, big ravines or gullies that have a creek running through them with huge mature timber. Um, so I, the creeks, you know, offer a variety of food for the turkeys. They'll eat, you know, a lot of people don't realize they'll eat snakes, they'll eat snails, they'll eat little frogs, mm-hmm. um, you know, worms, obviously bugs. So having that creek just offers such a diverse ecosystem for them that they have a lot they can forage on. I don't know what it is for sure about the big ravines and, and gullies. Um, you know, it seems like they like to pitch into those hillsides. It makes it, it makes it easier for them to, to pitch into the tree at night and then fly down in the morning. But anywhere we find those big, deep ravines and gullies in this area with the creek running through, there's there's a flock of turkeys calling that home. I was just listening uh, on a property this morning that fits that description to a T. They're just loaded with turkeys this morning. Um, and then obviously the big mature timber, they got to have bruise trees. Um, if they're red oaks, white oaks, they're nut trees. So there's, you know, another aspect of food. And then if you add some ag in there on top of it, you're, you're looking in this area again, uh, for a, you know, a recipe to have a lot of turkeys. Mm-hmm. So if I'm hunting here and I'm trying to find new property here, uh, I actually don't do a lot of map scouting first. Uh, I'm, putting the pedal to the metal, I'm logging the, the miles in my truck and I'm trying to, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm driving in areas where I, I might see like, okay, there's a lot of terrain diversity here. There's some big steep ravines as I'm driving some hill country. I need to, I, now I need to get on my maps and dive in, you know, a little bit more, but I do all my like scouting for next year right now. Uh, I think there's a misconception sometimes with new hunters that, Oh, you know, I saw this big flock of turkeys when I was deer hunting in November. Like, this is going to be a great place to turkey hunt. Not the case. Not yeah. around here. Yeah. You might have the flock all year long and spring comes and you're like, where did these things go? Um, we always talk about the shift. Like, there's a shift happening right now in a lot of places. And those birds are, are you know, finding their spring range. Mm-hmm. So it can be really disheartening. Or it can be really, you know, awesome because you get the good end of that shift. And you yeah. get them on your property. Obviously, there's things you can do to to enhance that or, or to keep them there um, or to entice them to your property. But uh, yeah, so as far as your question, I, I don't do a whole lot of map scouting unless I'm going out of state. That kind of comes on the back end once I've found an area that I want to focus on. Okay. So to recap, you're looking for a large piece of timber, yep, mature, with a water source 
and some deep or some big elevation changes in the terrain. Like ideally, that's what, if you had to pick a spot on a map, that's what you're looking for. Yep. And again, I you know there's I have a few different assumptions as to why that elevation change, like in this area, is beneficial. Um, I'm kind of in ag country, so you know there's a lot of flat land a lot of small blocks of timber. So yeah, we know we're people, like 40 minutes from you. Yeah. <laughs> we know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> and like, I'm sure it's the same by you guys, but like everybody's throwing up a Wayne country homes in the middle of a field these days. Like people are building everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So these things are being forced into these bigger chunks. Um, as far as like the ravines and the, the steeper terrain, I, you know, I think Tom's like to get up top and gobble uh, in the mornings. You know, I, this morning it pitched right down onto that ridge top. Uh, and just sat up there and screamed their faces off and the hens flew right down to them. Uh, you know, if it's flat, obviously they don't have the opportunity to do that. But again, I think these birds are being pushed to areas, which we'll get into later about, yeah. you know, I think why the, the numbers are, are doing what they're doing and, and uh, you know, what have you. But yeah, in this specific area, that's what I'm, you know, most familiar with. I think that's why you find them in those, those spots. And obviously the bigger the timber, you know, the, the easier they can hide, the more nesting opportunities the hens have. Um, you know, potentially you have the ability to minimize the amount of hunting pressure they have on some of those bigger chunks. So they find those safety nets, the smaller chunks anymore. I mean, with the advancements in technology and the, the real, the realism of decoys and stuff, if you have a 10 acre block of timber surrounded by ag and there's a turkey roosting in it, it's dead the next morning. Like it just is. Yeah. If anybody turkey hunts that, they're going to throw a decoy out. He's going to fly down. He's going to see the decoy and it's going to be dead. So we don't like those field type turkeys around here are like almost extinct in those small, small blocks. It's the bigger, the bigger timber where they seem to be. I agree. I do have a question for you. Um, you mentioned that, uh, the bird that you were listening to pitched, um, to a higher elevation. Let's dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, do you find, it's like, uh, you know, obviously turkey hunting, you want to get as tight as you can without bumping them. And, you know, you're anticipating the direction that they're going to pitch. But a lot of times, like, they'll pitch, you know, wherever. What what do you find, what is the most common um, direction or elevation that you find that they, that they pitch to? Do you find them pitching down into the bottom, or do you find them pitching higher to the elevation? Man, that's a, that's a great question, and I think that is influenced by a few different things. Um, I think it's influenced by the weather you got a real windy, gusty day and, uh, you know, that bird doesn't want to be up top. I've seen them fly straight to the bottom. some of those real gusty, windy days. And it seems like they almost don't need to communicate. They just know like, Hey, here's what we're doing. Um, those real crisp, like 35, 40 degree morning suns peeking through. It seems like they love being up top and just screaming their heads off, letting everybody know, Hey, like I'm, I'm up here. This I'm rolling the roost. Um, so I think weather could potentially impact that. I also think the time of year and how many hens they have with them impacts that. You know, if that guy suckers alone uh, all by himself, you know, for whatever reason, maybe he got bumped from the flock, maybe he got, you know, beat up by a pile of jakes or he's all by himself. seems like a lot of times those lonely gobblers will go up, up top as well. Um, and, you know, whereas maybe if they got a whole flock of turkeys, they're still pretty grouped up. That might vary a little bit more. As far as like an exact elevation, and I – I wish I could, you know, give some, some better intel or some better knowledge on that. Just where I've grown up hunting, I never really looked into that a whole lot. And, you know, I don't really know. There's not much elevation change yeah. as we talked about. Yeah, um, yeah. But when we go out of state in some of this, you know, big hill country type terrain, 
Um, seems like they're either pitching up top or at least like into the side, like the side hill of a big ridge. Um, and they'll stay on that side hill. And if you're up top, that can be great. You know, calling to them, obviously being above them is usually better. Um, kind of makes, forces them up to, to look, right? They can see, you know, down they can see, okay, there's not a hen down there, especially if it's open. But if you're up above them and you, you put enough separation between you, they got to come up and look. So um, I'm thinking now as we're talking of, of a lot of instances where they, like I said, maybe fly up from the side hill or from the top of the ridge and then they'll pitch the same thing kind of right into the side of that ridge um, or, or towards the top. But like we're talking about with deer, they're wild animals. Just yeah. when you when think you had them figured out, you listen to them three mornings in a row, and they pitch to the same spot, and then you get set up there, and then they pitch to the bottom. Yeah. You're like, what? yeah, I know it. <laughs> yeah. Why? Yeah, what changed? What made you want to do that? Yeah, yeah, I know it. Yeah. No, but I just, uh, I just wanted. I, I, I guess I just wanted your opinion on that because I've found in my experiences that you know, they're always roosting like three quarters of the way up and in, in, in yeah. elevation. And then they always like to pitch up. But I, I do agree with the, the wind aspect of things. Like if you have a nasty day and the deer will do the same thing. Like if you have a nasty, nasty storm coming in, they're going to roost at a lower elevation to try to get out of the wind. So that's a good point. Yeah. Like if anybody's listening and you know, if the big storm comes through, try to get to that lower elevation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cool. Let me pull up the I think, next. I think we were going to talk about some calling stuff. Yeah, techniques go, go, and ahead, stuff. go ahead. Do you have any special way? Like, I guess, so I don't know how to, do you have any special ways to like special calls that you like, like to? Like locators? Yeah. Okay. So, well, yeah. So we've, we've identified, so say we, we just pulled up Onyx. We identified how we're going to find the bird by the big chunk river, kind of some, some elevation changes. Um, so now we're at the piece of public or whatever, what are you doing to any cool tips or tricks on how to listen for birds, mm-hmm. like hear that gobble, or is there anything cool that you're doing to locate a bird? Sure. Yeah. So it, it's amazing, especially when you get into the hills, how the sound messes with you, you know, you can, the, the elevation and all that, it, it's insane how you think, oh, I should be able to hear that bird on the next ridge over and you might not be able to. So obviously getting up high can help you if you're strictly going out to try to listen. Um, as far as locating a bird, it's going to depend for me on if it's morning or evening. I never throw out any sort of locator calls in the morning. I got, <laughs> I got a guy that I, that I hunt with occasionally that you will get in the woods and it'll be like, five in the morning pitch blast so they'll be like you know i'm gonna hit my alcohol i'm like dude if they're gonna gobble they're gonna gobble in yeah. the morning like just yeah, yeah. leave them be just let them do their thing we'll hear like we'll just get in position just wait it out we don't need to make them make them do anything they're gonna gobble if they're in here um if it's evening though a little bit different story i, I coyote coyote howl a lot um i don't like to do it though if i know there's birds close like i'll do it from a distance um just that, that frequency uh, seems to make them shot gobble, at least in this area, um, mm-hmm. pretty regularly. Uh, and again, I will never, ever do that in the morning. That's the last thing you want to do in the morning. You know, they'll pitch the other way. Yeah. Um, I'll do it from a distance, though, where it's not going to impact where I'm hunting um, you know, that morning. And in this area, you can hear a good ways with how flat it is. Now, I can roost a bird from a, a pretty far distance here as opposed to in some of that, that hilly terrain. But if it's somewhere new, you know, I don't worry too much about going to, to roost on, um, if I'm hunting on public land, I, we won't even go out in the evening. Sometimes we just get up real high early in the morning, 
listen, you know, depending on how they're gobbling or how they're interacting or what we're hearing or, hey, there's a group of three over here versus this one that's alone over here is going to dictate, you know, what bird we go after. Mm -hmm. But you don't always have that luxury, um, especially in this area with with numbers being a little bit lower. But some of these other areas that still have some pretty strong numbers, you can kind of take your pick. So, yeah, just a a coyote hound in the evenings, very occasionally. Um, I do a, a, a lot of groundwork when it comes to turkey scouting. So, I usually have a pretty good handle on in this area when the season starts of where the birds are and where I need to be. Um, and a lot of times they'll volunteer gobble on their own in the evenings anyway. So you don't need to do anything. Let's dive a little bit into that. Um, what, what are you doing, uh, on your groundwork? It's, it might be a simple answer of just putting in the work, driving around, listening for spots, but let's dive a little bit into that. And what exactly are you doing to, to get the upper end, you know, with your scout? Sure. Well, it starts with having the places, which I know we talked a little bit about when we were deer hunting. I'm fortunate that I have a, a lot of places to turkey hunt. As I mentioned, there really wasn't a whole lot of turkey hunters around here when I got started. There was a couple like old timers that kind of piqued my interest and got me into it. But like in school and stuff, I was the only dude, me, me and Corey were the only dudes that turkey hunted. Like, so because of that, we got into some places when getting turkey permission was really easy. It's not that way anymore, but we've maintained those. Mm-hmm. Um now, you know, everybody, it seems like everybody turkey hunts, yeah. which, is, which is good. You know, it's, that's great. I just, it's, it's harder to get the permission. So I'm lucky to have places that have historically, you know, been good to me turkey-wise that I know, okay, these birds are going to be in here. You know, they might pop in a week before season. They might pop in two months before season, but they're they're going to be in here. Um, so that that helps a lot. As far as gaining new ground, it's very similar to, to deer hunting, but I pound the roads um, both for my job, but also specifically uh, looking for turkeys. And then I get on the maps and you know try to try to get permission. I just picked up a new a new piece actually a couple of days ago doing that. Dude, congratulations! Um, <laughs> That's a win right there. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those where I was like, man, these people still exist. Like a laydown, you know. Just of course you can. I'm like, come on, <laughs> dude. I, yeah, send me some of that luck, would you? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually where I was this morning. But uh, so I, like I said, I, I log a ton of miles finding turkeys. Um, like I said, my job, I, I travel a lot for my job. So I kind of have an unfair advantage because I'm seeing areas that I wouldn't see if it weren't for my job. So mm-hmm. I'm just naturally seeing turkeys because I have windshield time. Um, my dad's the same way. He's a sales guy, travels a lot. He just, just yesterday was like, hey, pull up the map right here, saw three long beards, you know, go ask or whatever. So. <laughs> So that is a, a big, you know, factor on, on having obviously the places that I have to hunt. Um, and then about a month before season, I'm out every single morning. Um, I have a pretty flexible schedule with work every single morning. I'm out on a different piece of listening, um, learning what are they doing? How many hens do they have? Is there a flock that's got enough long beards that I'm willing to, to hunt? Is it a pretty weak flock where there's only one? I don't want to touch them. I want to leave them be, uh, you know, let them reproduce, don't pressure them. So I'm out there every morning somewhere else just trying to learn. Um, I, I probably am a pretty conservative turkey hunter, and it's just because of the amount of scouting I do. A lot of times I'm not, at least around here, going out and calling a whole bunch just because before the season I've got a pretty solid handle of what's what's going to go down. Um, so I guess it's kind of a combination, but the biggest thing is just, like I said, logging, logging the time, putting the time in, and then having the places to, to chase them. Mm-hmm. No, I like that. It's Put, cool. Putting in the work, yeah. And I like the fact that you said that, like, if there's only one Tom in this area, like, you're not going to pressure him. Some guys will go out and they'll see that Tom in the field or hear him or something, and they'll be like, well, I'm going to go kill that one, you know, and they're not going to be like, 
take the time, like what you said, as far as how many toms are in yeah, the area, analyze, and then I'm yeah. going to move to another group that has, you know, like you said, three or four of them. They're just going to go after that one and kill it. And then for next year, they might be hosed out of that yeah, area. Out of luck. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm not saying that's wrong by any means. I've, I've been that person. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I have options. You know, right. if I was my only hunt, like for, you know, I, I'd go and shoot that turkey too. But, uh, I really try like, and we all do now, like really observing and analyzing the, these individual flocks and, and trying our best to not overshoot them. Uh, one of the properties I was listening on a couple of days ago, uh, I had all my camo on just cause I wanted to, to get in a little bit tight in the timber and, and figure out exactly what these birds are doing without mm-hmm. spooking them. And I was walking back to the, the house and a truck slammed on his brakes and pulled in the driveway. I'm like, Oh man, and guy pulled in and said, you know, you're, you're in my, my kind of territory. I hunt around here too. And I was like, you know, I just was out listening. He said, yeah, I was too. And, uh, you know, he was talking about, we'll be, you'll, we'll be in there opening morning. It's they're adjoining properties. Uh, so we're basically hunting the same group of birds. Yeah. And, uh, luckily it's a pretty healthy flock, but I just told him, I said, you know, how many guys do you have in there? And like, you know, what, what's kind of your plans? And it's him and a brother and, you know, they're going to go in there and they're going to, they're going to hunt them hard. And I said, well, we, you know, we probably won't then just cause there's three long beards in there. They go in and double, you know, you just yeah. got one Yeah. and who knows, you get snagged by a coyote and now you got this group that was real healthy. It's just decimated like that. Yeah. So especially if there's no Jake's, you know, next year you might not have a male Turkey in there. Goblin. And I live, yeah. I live for the gobble. Like that's why I'm out there. So we try our best to do that. Obviously you can't in some situations. And if you got one property, go out and shoot the dang thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's given the opportunity to tr- try to do that. It's becoming harder and harder. Um, and it's just, it's from a learning experience. We, we did that. We had a property, uh, grew up hunting. I mean, it wasn't abnormal to have years of like eight to 10 long beards in there. We'd take our buddies, we, you know, tag yeah. out, Jake would get one. I'd get one, take our sisters and it, we were just young. We just didn't you think about it. There, you will not see a turkey there anymore. They're gone. They yeah. they are not there. There's been other things that have happened to the property. It got timbered out and things like that. But it's just crazy how quickly that can change. And I think it's personally because we overshot the flock. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I like that a lot. Like it takes it. You know, I respect that a lot because a lot of people wouldn't sit back and realize that that's happening. Yeah, and yeah, I like it. With some of these DNR changes, I think it's, I think it should help, but, uh, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I'm glad they put it down to one bird in the spring now though. At least in our area. Yeah. Yeah. At least in our area. It's rough. And that's, like I said, you know, some of these, I'm just specifically speaking to here. I know there are places where the the turkey flocks are like just awesome and that's fantastic. Um, so I'm just speaking to here for anybody that's listening. I don't. I'm not trying to say, you know, all these places are like this, but. And, and here for anyone listening that maybe not have, maybe not have caught it is Northeastern Ohio. So we're both in Northeastern, maybe like North Central Ohio. And, uh, the turkey population is yikes. It's, it's, it's not what it used to be, you know, four or five five years years ago. ago, Yeah. Yeah. I remember five, yeah. Four or five years ago, man, you, you go to any block of woods, you'd hear a bird gobble and, uh, Nowadays, that, that's that's not the case. Man, the early two thousands, it wasn't even it wasn't even fair. Like it, it was stupid. I it was it. stupid. I know it. <laughs> I know it. 
All right, so yeah, I think it's a, a culmination of things, which you said we'll get into later, so I won't jump the gun. Yeah, I mean, so we're, we're here. Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. it. Yeah. Let's talk about it for a little bit, and then we'll get into some tactics. So I think, personally, there's it's, it's like a perfect storm. I think there is a lot of things, but they're all coming together at the same time that's influencing this. So number one, I think, is the, the increased turkey hunter numbers, which is great. Tur- turkey participation is through the roof. But because of the other things I'm going to mention, it's, it's kind of a, a perfect storm. Um, so I, I don't know about you guys, but I have people tell me all the time, like, oh, 100 numbers are down, 100 numbers are down. I, I think that is a load of crap. Yeah. we've Dude, I couldn't agree more. The, I see I, more people in the woods than I ever have in my life. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. And, like, turkey hunting is so trendy because of just our access to information. It's not nobody's doing anything wrong. It just – you know, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff, like it's, it's kind of put it in the limelight, um, which probably sounds hypocritical coming from a guy like me, but like it's kind of put in the limelight now. And some people that didn't really bother with it are seeing these videos of these things just like hammering and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And it is. It is. If I didn't turn you on and I saw that, I'd be like, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm trying it, yeah. Do that. And it's so fun. I love seeing people like, experience that for the first time. It's one of my favorite things. Um, but because of that, it's just like, man, there are just new turkey hunters spitting out left and right. Um, and at the same time, those turkey hunters that are entering are learning it like that. There's very little learning curve because of the access to information. You can Google search how to roost a bird, how to map scout, how to find a, anything is out there. So now you got these new guys, like, you know, when we, when you and I started, we kind of had to go out there and fail a bunch, right? And and figure this stuff out. Anybody can go buy a DSD decoy now that's more realistic than a, a wild turkey and stick it in the field and blast that thing on opening day. Like yeah. it, it's just a little bit easier for people. Um, it's not like the deer. They they aren't quite as smart. Yeah, they have good eyesight, but other than that, I mean, like it's it's not quite as challenging as killing that 160 inch deer. That's going to take some some learning, some years, some failing, some grinding out. Yep. With the turkeys, it's it's not always going to be like that, especially again in this area um, with the ag and, and being how flat it is and stuff like that. Um, so social media, all that, more turkey hunters. I mentioned the decoys. You know, they're I, I hunt over decoys occasionally. I prefer not to. I don't have anything against them, um, but they're so real. I mean, like it's incredible, incredible. It's not so, those. Yeah, it's not those old foam ones that folded together yeah, and dude, popped them out. I, that was that, the first decoy that I ever used was that foam hen that you yeah. shoved in your game bag. Yeah. You popped her out. You had that one rod yeah. that you stuck in the ground. And when the wind would blow, <laughs> she'd go like this yeah. back and yeah. forth. <laughs> yeah. And he'd stay so out there guys. at like 60 yards and just get hung up because he knew that wasn't a turkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, I think I think we all had those to start. Yeah, you know. actually, that turned me off of decoys. I'm not even joking. Since like my first few years of hunting, not to get off topic, but like that ruined it for me because I had so many long beard long beards get hung up mm-hmm. over decoys. Mm-hmm. They'd hang up at like 60, 80 yards. And back then, like you didn't have TSS or anything. Yeah. I mean, you were shooting forty yards was a poke, you know. And it's like, yeah. And uh, I just ever since then, I just said screw the decoys yeah. but now i agree with what you're saying if if i dabbled back into it it'd probably be a little bit better with the the they look so real the realistic decoys yeah. nowadays 
yeah, you're spot on. Yeah, this thing's standing out there 100 yards thinking, what the heck is that chicken in that yeah. field? Yeah, <laughs> those things are ugly. Yeah, sorry to, but, sorry yeah, so, to cut you off. No, you're good. You're good. You mentioned the next thing I was going to bring up, uh, TSS. So I shoot TSS myself. I, I'm not against it at all, but I won't take a shot over 40 yards. You can shoot 100 yards with those things. Oh, and yeah, watch. Yeah. I don't want to call it any names. I watched a guy on YouTube just yesterday shoot a turkey at 80 yards. He clearly hit the hen that this thing was standing beside with his pattern. Yeah, wow. and it's like it's an extremely effective tool, but if used in the wrong way, I don't know that it's the best thing for the sport. Yeah, um, which that's just human nature. I mean, you're going to have people take advantage of it, and uh, again, I'm not saying you know you shouldn't shoot one that far, but I just it's killing more turkeys because now the bird that hung up at 60 yards. He's getting killed. Yeah, he's when getting whacked. Yep. Ten years ago, he wasn't. So I think that has a big factor in in bird numbers in this area because you can shoot that far here. Mm-hmm. In big timber, you, you probably can't. You know, especially once it greens up, like we talked about earlier. But yeah. here, you got a field, and he's out there hung up at sixty. He's dead. Yeah, you can yeah. whack him. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So I think that's impacting a little. I think the loss of habitat here is, is, like I said, a big one. I mean, they're building factories and houses and neighborhoods. Every field, I, every time I go to Columbus, I'm like, that's a new crop field that's a neighborhood now. A new development, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. It seems like all these smaller family farms and stuff are just being parceled off, like whether they're getting too old to farm it or what, whatever the reason is, but then yeah, they get I think sold off into you know allotments and just individual 100%. houses. It's stuff. a generation thing, right? Like, you know, grandma and grandpa own the farm. Kids, yeah. kids, yeah. The, kids don't want to deal with the farm. And what's farmland going for right now? Yeah, the market's the market is for through right the roof. Now. So I mean, if if old you know grandma and grandpa passed away, you just inherited three hundred acres that's butted up right next to a suburb of Columbus, and you can get you know three four million for it. Yeah, why not? Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right in that. You can't fault those people. It just, I think that's, you know, places I used to see turkeys, they're gone. They're extinct. They're not there. Yeah. Like in those, those areas. And I think it's, I think that's a big part of it. And then the last one I think is uh, nest predators. I mean, fur prices suck. I got into trapping a few years ago. I absolutely love trapping coyotes, but dude, there's so many coons. Like you throw out a corn pile in Ohio, you get pictures of like 30 of them in one, yeah. you know, one photo. Uh, nobody's trapping, not too many people are hunting them. I found my, the property out back here uh, last year. I found three turkey nests while I was mushroom hunting. All three of them were raided, every one of them. Really? Yeah. So, yep. So, I think coons and possums, foxes, I think they're absolutely annihilating the nest before they even have a chance to, to be a turkey. Um, a lot of people say wet springs. I, I'd like to think, I'd like to give the bird a little more credit to know that they go and make a nest somewhere that's not going to be washed out by water. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it claims some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people have said that too. We've had some real wet springs in the past, but again, so I think it's all of those things kind of mushed into one at the exact same time. All the while, the turkey is still the same turkey that was here in 19. 19- 20, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we've had gotten all these advancements, all these tools, all these things that make it easier for us. They're still the same turkey. So, you know, I don't know if there's things to do to change it. I've heard people say like, well, this is what the turkey numbers are supposed to be like. And in the early 2000s, when they were just insane, that was just because of X, Y, and Z. Maybe that's true. Maybe this is, maybe this is normal. You know what I mean? And we were kind of mm-hmm. spoiled. 
I, that could be. I, I really don't know. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Either. That's why I think we're seeing you know such a decline in this area. And again, the places that are thriving, man, that's that's awesome. Uh, I hope we can get back to to that someday. You know, here. Um, but I think it's going to take some critical thinking and some kind of like tough conversations uh, between people to maybe take a step back. And I, like I said, I've, you know, I, I used to shoot Jake's when I was younger. I think if you're a, a new hunter or whatever, you should do that. And if you want to shoot one, that's great. But now like I, I don't do that anymore just because like I looked at what I'm in it for. I love the gobble. I love hearing that. And I know, okay, if I remove him from the landscape this year, I know I'm not going to hear him next year. Gobble. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that's something I know some states you're not allowed to shoot Jake's. I don't know if that's something we do for a little while just to kind of buff that back up. If you look at the biology side of things, other people would say it's better to shoot a Jake because they physically can't breed. They can perform the act of breeding, but they can't actually successfully do it. So if you look at it from a biology standpoint, you'd be like, well, it'd probably be better to shoot the Jake and let the Toms stay and breed, right? Mm-hmm. It's just so it's so tough. Like it's so. I didn't know that. You know, I didn't either. But I'm I'm not, and that's why we have Nick on <laughs> to learn fun facts like that. That's one thing I did not know. I did not know a Jake could not breed a hen. Well, I I'm quoting uh, Mike Chamberlain. If you guys don't follow him, I I love listening to his stuff, reading his stuff. He has a Turkey Tuesday every single Tuesday. All kinds of podcasts, things like that. So, um, you know, I'm definitely not a turkey biologist, but I do a lot of research and I spent a lot of time looking into this stuff because I want to kind of it's fascinating to me I want to get to the bottom like why is you know why are we seeing this it's just Mm -hmm. I've seen both ends of the spectrum here so I really like diving into that stuff um another big one that I just just kind of learned is you know when two long beards come running in one's strutting one's not which one do most people shoot the strutting bird the strutting bird right I would too I just learned that most of the time there's the breeder turkey and then there's the looker turkey. And at some point in the pecking order, that one that's strutting is he's the man, the he's the one that's breeding. That looker is kind of there just as his buddy, right? The one that's strutting is like, that's the prize and that's the big one, that's the mature one, that's the whatever, shooting that sucker. Well, you just remove the breeder. So really from like a biological standpoint, you should shoot the looker. Because he's not doing the breeding, which is crazy to me. It, I, including myself, I would blast the strutter, right? Yeah. But when you look at it from like a, hey, who's doing the breeding? Because uh, there's some studies out there that, that think that the hens actually like pick their mate. And it's like a 30-day process where they're like picking what tom they, they want to breed with, basically. It's like the bachelor. So like, let's say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like opening, and again, don't. Don't quote me on this. I'm by no means a turkey biologist. Just some of the some of the stuff I've kind of dove into reading. Um, it's kind of talking about you know like shooting that looker that you know the hen picks picks a tom to, to obviously breed with. Let's say you remove him opening day. He's the breeder and he hasn't bred those hens yet. When the season dates are set, you know most of the time they set them so those hens are getting bred before we go in there mm-hmm. and kill them. But let's just say it didn't. That hen has to like start that cycle back over of picking a picking a mate. Um, so again, that was something I was reading. I was just like, man, I never, you know, I never thought of that. It's just yeah. two times I'm learning that one strut, I'm shooting it. And yeah. then you just go on about your day, you breast them out, you eat the turkey and you put the fan on your wall and you, you know, whatever. And it's like, man, I, so I've, this year I'm like, if, if I'm fortunate enough to hunt a place where there's two turkeys and two come in, 
I said, it'll probably be a cool video because everyone's going to be looking at the strutter going, <laughs> when's this thing getting shot? Yeah. And then this one off to the left is about to get dead. <laughs> so, you know, like, and again, I, you know, there's a lot that we don't know about the turkey. So that could be, that could be false, but it makes a lot of sense in my mind, at least. Yeah. So I was always told that the, the dominant bird was the strutter, which, mm-hmm. you know, would kind of make sense on the breeder. But I was always under the assumption that if you shot the dominant bird, then the next bird in the pecking order would become the breeder or the dominant bird. Do you have you read anything where like they they slowly become the breeder, or do you think that it takes like a season before they they relearn their pecking order? So you know, I don't know about that. I would assume you are correct, and I would assume that hen would just naturally you know pick that tom then basically because yeah. it's. Yeah. It's the closest, easiest option. Now, if one comes in, like if there's a flock not far from here on a, on a place that I can, it's got one long beard, a couple jakes, and then a group of hens. So I've been thinking like, you know, okay, let's say I shoot that one opening day. Let's say the hens aren't red. Do they travel to go find them or do they just not get bred? Do they go 10 miles and find a new flock and, you know, pick a Tommy? I, I don't know the answer to that. Or do they just not get bred? Here's another question that just popped in my head. So, like, I've I've talked to some other of my buddies that are, like, real big into turkey hunting, and we've talked about the decline in population, just got their opinions, et cetera. So, one of my buddies made a valid point that, like, how many times do we as hunters say, man, I wish season was, like, a week or two earlier because birds are hammering on the roost or you're seeing them strutting fields. And, and my buddy looked at me, and he's like, dude, that's so that they can breed the hens. Yeah. And do you feel, do you, do you agree with that, Nick? Or do you feel like that's why the season's like a couple weeks late in our opinion? So that's so I, it's funny you ask that. Cause I just commented on that guy's Facebook post and one of the Turkey groups I'm in, um, he was saying, man, our season needs to be like three, three weeks ahead of time. And I just, everything I just divulged you, I tried to very kindly just direct him to, to some literature and stuff like that, that yeah, I, they're, they're put in place for that exact reason. If anything, I think it could even be a week later. Uh, I know it's harder to kill them then, but if we're looking out for the resource and, and the future of the turkey, yeah, I, I think that would be beneficial. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the guys that are going to kill them, they're going to kill them, whether it's Amen. two weeks ahead of time, Amen. you know, yeah. three weeks ahead of time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm all, I am all for giving them the space, giving them the time to get that done out of the way. Um, I know last year I was listening the week before season and I stumbled across a nest that already had like eight eggs in it. So I was like, cool, you know, like this is, this is actually, you know, happening when it's supposed to be happening. These season dates are, you know, when they should be in this area. Cause I'm always skeptical of like, if they're actually looking out for the resource and yeah. making me too. Decision, you know, me too. Yeah. I agree. I think it's all so, financially based sometimes. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So even the changing of the one bird thing, you know, I don't want to bash them, but to me, that was great, but it was very, I think I'm going to steal the words that Easton used. Uh, it was very reactive and not proactive. Yeah. We waited until, oh my gosh, we have a problem. Let's change it to one instead of like, hey, here's some trends we're seeing. We should do this now to get ahead of it. So, yeah, because arguably we were seeing that trend for two to three years, beforehand. at least in our area. Where yeah. before they they limited the birds or the uh, the the bag the tag limit per, yeah excuse me thank, thank you the bag Gosh. limit to one bird so I, I couldn't agree more that you know the DNR not to not to stir the pot or anything but they didn't really 
like you just you said it perfectly Proactive, that's all i can yeah. say yeah like we we waited until it was too late and then all of a sudden we're like oh crap you know yeah how do we fix this how now do we fix it now and yeah. then we should have been thinking about it years ago because everybody saw it i mean it it wasn't like it happened yes. overnight it was like a two three year period where like the bird the bird population just went yep. and just, yeah 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 you're spot on you know like you said man I, I couldn't agree more i think it's a lot of this yeah yeah and again i don't like i don't want to get on a soapbox with these things i, I want people to go out and hunt however the heck they enjoy i i cherish the the sport of hunting so so much i hold it so dear to my heart um i want people to go out there and have a good time however they see fit and as long as it's legal and ethical you should do it yeah um these are just you know kind of the, the mindset that i i've kind of changed and i'm not afraid to admit like i said some of the things and tactics and approaches that I've done in the past that I've looked at now from the outside, like, man, I like, I, I don't want to do that anymore for X, Y, and Z reason. Um, yeah. And I'm sure five years from now, there's things that I'm looking at that I'm doing now that I'll probably be like, you know, I want to change that too. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of some of the, you know, some of the brainstorm I've been doing, I think a lot about the wild turkey and, uh, just kind of where my head's been at with it is those, those few things there. But mm-hmm. yeah, I couldn't agree more that like, excuse me. I couldn't agree more that we want, uh, I'm going to change this headphone. Let's pause this for a second. My headphone is driving me nuts. <laughs> All right. Sorry guys. We had to change out. Uh, I had a headphone going out on me. So we changed that out. But what we were talking about is I couldn't agree more with what Nick was talking about in, in regards to, like go out and do it. Like we're not sitting here saying don't hunt, but on the other side of the spectrum is if we're not proactive about it, we're not going to have the ability to hunt in the future. Like yeah. I I don't want to like offend anybody. I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but sometimes you need to be slapped in the mouth and just being like, "Hey, this is happening. We have to do something about it." And that's why we're having this podcast with you and I think that's why we're talking about it. And that's why you're so passionate about it. We're so passionate about it. We are this is our life, right? You know, like hunting is what we do and we need to start thinking as outdoorsmen of ways to proactively protect the nature that we hunt. Yeah. I do think that there, unfortunately, there's some hunters out there that are in the now and they don't necessarily care about the future. And that mindset needs to change. I don't know how you change somebody's mind on that, but I mean, I've talked to people before and they're like, well, you know, they're mad about the one bird thing. They're like, I want to go shoot two birds. Well, they admit that the population's down. They don't see as many. They don't hear as many, but yet they still want to go out they and still shoot, want to shoot two, birds. two birds. Yeah. And then, like, the prime example is, uh, hopefully this doesn't come back to bite you, Nick, but the prime example is, like, that that guy you ran into on the road. You know, you're, you are a better outdoorsman, in my opinion, than they are because you're like, well, how serious are you going to be? Like, how many people are hunting? Well, he's like, oh, we're going to hit it hard. Well, it's like there's three birds in that flock, or three yeah. long beards, and if he, him and his buddy and or brother or whoever go in there and kill two, it's like, man, you know, yeah. like sometimes you just got to look at life a little bit differently. It's not about the the harvest, you know, mm-hmm. like it's it's about the process. Yeah. It's about it's about the experience. Uh, I don't know. We're getting probably down a road that yeah, we shouldn't. Probably a little and, bit. And you know that guy that stops, he's a real nice guy, real nice guy. Um, and you know there there are more birds in the area and. You know, I'm sure I'm sure it'll all be okay. And if we do end up hunting there, um, you know, it, it would be a one bird thing, and, and we'd be out. And 
you know, if they get one, you know, awesome. Congrats. If we hear the gunshot, we'll probably go over to the property line and congratulate them. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. I think it's a very situational thing. You know, a lot can change quickly. Um, more birds can move in or vice versa. Um, you know, maybe, maybe when the season opens, they're not even going to be doing what they're doing. Now they're yeah. going to be across the street. None of us will be able to hunt them. Um, but you know, Kevin, what you, I think you said, uh, how do we, how do we change that or, or how, what can we do? I think what you guys are doing, I mean, is where it starts, you know, having a platform and a podcast where you're having these tough conversations. A lot of people are scared to talk about this stuff, yeah, right? Cause yeah. they don't want to say something wrong or they don't want to be told, you know, you're an idiot or you're stupid. That's not right. I don't really care. You know, you can, people can get on here and bash me all they want. Like I was, I respect their opinion. And if they think I'm an idiot and I'm being, you know, whatever, that's fine. Like they don't, they can go out there and shoot six of them. You know, that's, that's up to them. Yeah. But I think if you have the ability to like influence a certain area and you have that kind of like awareness about yourself and you care about the resources, that's what it is. I think people forget it's a resource and it, it doesn't have to be here. Yeah. yeah. Like it can be gone. I mean, what we saw with the, uh, is it the quail or, uh, the grouse, grouse maybe yeah. grouse, the grouse. Yeah. yeah like it can be, it can be taken away like that. Um, if it's not managed properly and the way I see it, if, if the States aren't, you know, managing it properly then we have to because yeah. if they don't care then and we don't care then it's gone um yeah well yeah. So. so this is a little bit off subject but i remember um my grandpa told me when he was a young young boy like there was no white-tailed deer in the area period and they had two does run through like the their town they were in and it made like the paper it made you know everybody in the town was talking about these two deer that ran through there and now I mean, you can't go anywhere without seeing a group of deer out in the field right now or anything yeah. like that. So, 60 of them. So, yeah. it's, like, the population can come back, but it takes more than just, you know, like you were saying, like, a couple guys to do it. Everybody has to come together to help with that situation. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. All right. I think that that was, I think that was a good amount of, well, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. <laughs> that was a good amount of uh, stress getting off, taken off of our shoulders and, and kind of talking about <laughs> the population and things that we need to probably improve on. But let's get into, as I'm pulling up my notes, let's get into some tactical stuff. So um, let me look real quick. Uh, so let's talk about the classic. He's hammering on the roost. He hits the ground, gobbles once or twice, and then he shuts up. What what are oh, your yeah. what are your thoughts? What are your tactics? Let's 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 dive a little bit deep into that. So in my opinion, I think if, if you got a bird attacking like that, there's probably two reasons. One one of two reasons. Or or maybe both reasons. They have a bunch of hens with them and uh you know he doesn't need to go get this one hen that sounds halfway decent up on the ridge because he's got five real things right with him that he can see. Mm -hmm. Um so I think it could be that, or he's been hunting real hard. Maybe he's been shot at. Maybe a coyote almost snatched him up one morning when he was gobbling his head off. He's like, I'm not doing that for a while. Uh, so I think it could be one of those those two things. Uh, you know, those those silent birds. That's where you know if you're if you have the ability to spend a lot of time on a property and, and scout a property, and you know they're in there, and you got a bird like that, it's a little easier to to you know hang in there with them and keep hunting because you know they're there. Uh, if you're, you know, on some public land and you got two days and you got a bird that's acting like that, uh, you know, I'll try to some creative things to, to get in tight to them and get that thing killed, but I'm not opposed to going somewhere else and finding a bird that's willing to play the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing with that, you got a bird that's, that's just being quiet is, is trying to get in that bubble. 
Um, it seems to me like a long beard that's got one, two, three, four real life hens with him is much more willing to travel 60 yards to go snatch up a loner hen, AKA us, than he is a hundred yards. So if you can, you know, we've had birds that are like that, that aren't gobbling. And then we get into like 40 or 60 or something like that. And then all of a sudden they'll start hitting it. And I think it's because you just kind of get in that bubble. Same thing with like a bird that's hung up. What do you think? What do you think that bubble is? Like if you had to put a number on it, I know it's all (sighs) situational, but like if you had to, yeah, man, I, I think like 60 to 70 is that sweet spot closer to me is better if given the terrain. But I can think of a few instances here in recent years where we've been at like 100, 120, which really isn't that crazy far depending mm-hmm. on where you're at. No. And then you just use the terrain and slip into like 60 and before you know he's in your lap. Yeah. Um, so is that- and I think the time of morning can influence that too, his willingness to, to break off and, and, you know, check things out. But yeah, yeah. So are you, so like, let's rewind a little bit. So if, if a bird hits the ground, if he's hammering on the roost, hits the ground, gobbles a couple of times, got some hens with him and he shuts up. So your next play is to try to get in. If you can, based on terrain, you're trying to get in between the direction he wants to go or where the flock wants to go. And you're trying to get into that bubble of within 60 yards. And you think that or, or I'll try to lay with them. Like if, if he's got some hens, maybe the hens, like if you listen and you're real quiet and you can hear it's not a windy day, those hens should be scratching quite a bit. He might be as well. Uh, you might be able to still hear him spitting and drumming depending on the part of the country you're in around mm-hmm. here. I never hear drumming because there's airplane noise, highway noise, cars, everything, but yep. down yeah. south you, you can hear it. So yeah, if, you you don't big, if you get in a big timber, you can hear it real easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, those hens every once in a while will let out some yelps. Uh, Jake Cox, you know, if there's a group of Jakes in that flock as well, listen to those Jakes. So I'll just try to, you know, hang with them for a little bit, maybe let it get to nine o'clock or so and then see it, see if his moods change at all. Maybe if, maybe some of the hens have broke off or whatever. Um, That's, so yeah, that if, nine if he, o'clock. Had, yeah. Sorry. Oh, I was yeah. going to say that nine o'clock is like, you get one gobble in mid morning at nine o'clock. You better buckle your seatbelt because he's coming. Yeah, I love. Yeah, that so I, I, I guess to answer your question, if if you got one like that that's not gobbling, if I'm not in a rush or anything, or like I know they spent a lot of time in there, I'll just try to to sit with them. Just you know, I have no problem. Okay, he flew down. It's one of these turkeys that's not gobbling. I'll, I'll sit against the tree and take a little nap. Like yeah, I'm. I got nothing better to do. Like I'm hunting. That's what I want to do. So I'll just stay in there. So if they, if they start heading a direction, let's say they start working away from you. Are you, are you staying with them? Like, what is that what you mean by lay with them? Like if they're, if they go, are you following or are you just staying in that location where they pitched? Um, I guess it depends on how much scouting I've done. I'll go with them if property lines allow me to. And if I can track them, but if I'm not real sure where they went, like, if I assume they're moving away, but they might not have, I'll probably just stay put. I'm, I'm not the most aggressive turkey hunter. I'm pretty conservative. My brother and and the other guys kind of level me out because they're real aggressive. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I got no problem staying where I'm at, especially if I've been in there before. Like, you know, if I see a bunch of scratching in an area and I know they're spending a lot of time there, I'm just gonna hang in there. Like they're gonna be through. You might pull a satellite bird, you know, off another ridge or something like that, or maybe there was a subordinate, you know, two-year-old in there and he doesn't gobble on the limb. I've seen that. And you think this whole time you're hunting one turkey and there's one in there that never gobbles because mm-hmm. he's got his butt whooped or whatever. And he might come in all timid to check things out. So 
I got no problem staying right where I'm at. But if I can track them, if I'm listening, you know, and I can hear the scratching, I can hear the hens, I can hear a Jake cough every once in a while, I'd like to, to kind of trail them and stay with them. Mm -hmm. no, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. Around here, you can't do that though, because yeah, we don't property, we don't have the, lines, yeah property line terrain feature. Like you just you just can't do it around us. But if you were on like a big track of like public. You know, yeah, like those south. national forests, you get back in there. Yeah, Shawnee, you can, Wayne National, yeah, yeah you got yeah. plenty of room down there. Yeah, but, yeah. Kev, do you got anything on uh, tactics that you could think um, of? Um, not off the top of my head. I'll think about it though. Nick, do you have anything that you want to talk about? Um, I'm sure I'll think of something real quick. But uh, do you have anything off the top of your head that you would like to talk about, as in like tactics that you wish you would have learned? or known about when you were younger or just starting the turkey hunt. And I know I know that there's always that experience that, you know, triumphs all, but like if you could go back and tell yourself ten years ago, yeah. What's one thing that you do now that you wish you would have done then? Sure. Um so I'll answer that kind of two part. Around here, just spending the amount of time that I do now, uh I kill a lot of turkeys without hardly calling at all. Just because I think you kinda mentioned that earlier, Matt. Uh I really like figuring them out and like just playing the game of like, I already knew what you were going to do before you did it type deal. Um, if I'm, you know, traveling out of state or whatever, a, a tactic that, you know, I didn't start using until, I don't know, probably five years ago. So it's like scratching in the leaves. It seems to be pretty common, uh, you know, on YouTube videos and stuff like that these days, but that's, that's killer, man. We've, we've killed a couple birds in, in recent years where we hardly made a call. We were just scratching and they, they come right in. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like, but that's a that's a really deadly tactic. You know, especially I'm gonna, on a Friday. I'm gonna throw out a uh, a fun fact that I, some old timer taught me, and I feel like it's appropriate to teach other people. So if you watch chickens, if you watch turkeys, etc., there is a pattern to their scratch. Yeah. it's not always, but it's like scratch, 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 scratch. And if you if you mimic that. It's just going to increase your odds. And I had some old timer tell me that he's like, don't just go out there and start scratching in the leaves. He said, sound like a turkey. He goes, watch them chickens in the yard and see what they do. They scratch, 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 and then they look for bugs. And they scratch, yeah. scratch, scratch, scratch. And it's just like, it just clicked. Yeah. And so yeah. when I scratch in the that's woods. A, that's a great point, Matt. And that, that reminded me um, another, I guess, it's not really a tactic, but something I used to worry about sounding really good and i similar to the scratching i don't think it's so much about the sound it's the the, the sequence yep i've heard some hens that just sound ungodly yep but that's <laughs> not a hen turkey you think it's a they, hunter down like, there yeah yeah just like people i mean the raspiest nastiest just and they freaking eat it up and so i don't think the see the the sound really matters uh i don't sound great with the mouth call i i personally run a slate call i just because i I kind of like that attachment to like to me that's like kind of like old timer ish. Uh, yeah. uh, so I kind of like that that, that attachment to the, the slate call, but uh, I don't think it's so much about the sound. I think it's that sequence. So spending a lot of time with with turkeys and listening to the hens, especially like on the roost and stuff, and and some of their sequences. Obviously, you know, we'll never know exactly what certain sequences mean, but mimicking those that that the toms you know seem to react to a certain way or whatever. I think it's more about that than than the sound there's i've heard hens that you know sound like oh that's how a hen should sound you know mm -hmm. that sounds pretty 
And then other ones that you're like, what on earth was that creature? <laughs> yeah, I know it. Well, I mean, really, they're just like people, you know, like yeah. the three of us in this conversation right now don't sound the same. No. And we're communicating. Yeah. 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 yeah that's one of those things where I think sometimes we make it harder on ourselves. We like overthinking yeah. it. Same thing with deer hunting and everything else. You know, it's like when, when I first was thinking about that, I was like, that, that makes perfect sense. I don't know why I was worried so much about yeah. what it sounded like. <laughs> yeah. If I had to emphasize anything to somebody getting into turkey hunting that maybe is just learning on like a mouth call or just picked up a slate or a crystal or whatever. Don't be afraid to like have a hiccup every once in a while. I mean, if you're, if you're hunting like a real old, you know, bird on public, like he probably got you. But like, like you were saying, Nick, I couldn't agree more. Hens sound awful. Like they're not the, the TV show yelping, you know, like they, they're raspy. They, they, they cut and they just, they, they don't sound like a, like what a turkey should sound like. Yeah. So it's like, don't be afraid to have a hiccup every once in a while. Don't be afraid to choke on your call or whatever, because, <laughs> yes. you know, they'll, they'll come in, they'll gobble at anything half the time, you know? So first, uh, I'm going to rat Corey out here. We got into turkey hunting together when we were both young, dumb kids. We learned it together. And, uh, first turkey he ever killed, he was outside. Um, I think he was helping his mom landscape and heard a turkey gobble out back. It was the last week in the season. No clue what he's doing. Went back there. He actually tripped and dropped his box call. And it made just like a, you know, whatever. Yeah. A little cut on it. Thing screamed and came right in. He killed it. <laughs> never even made, he never even made an effort to call. And this this is also when turkey numbers were yeah, astronomical. Yeah. We used to, like, yeah, they were just ridiculous. But, yeah, like, it... Again, like you said, Matt, you know, you're working a tough old long beard that's been around. That's not going to happen. This was a young, dumb two-year-old, you know, whatever. But I don't think it has to be perfect. No. Yeah. Don't get too no. caught up no, on it. No, don't get caught up on the calling. Obviously, if you want to improve your game, calling is probably one of the most important things to throw in your arsenal. But if you just want to go out there and have fun and experience turkey hunting, don't get caught up in being perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, because, yeah. like, I've scratched on some, like, I'm not joking. I have a pot call that I won at a raffle when I was like 10 years old. It's one of them that got the little peg on it and you can squeeze it. Oh, and yeah. it'll, it'll, yeah. But yeah. then the top is like a plastic pot call. Dude, I'm telling you, to the ear, that thing sounds <laughs> awful. But that is like one of the best locator calls I have because it, it just pierces. And like all you got to do is scratch on that thing a little bit. Yeah. And dude, I'm telling you, birds will hammer. They hammer to that thing. I remember like the first time I was hunting with Black, I pulled that thing out and it's like some Primos, like, you know, $5 Walmart, you know, call. And he's like, dude, what is that? And I'm like, trust me. I said, it's not going to sound good, but just watch. We had some bird that was kind of tight lipped and I scratched on that thing a little bit and no joke. Oh, he just hammers <laughs> right away. Yeah, I just put that awesome. I put that call back in my bag and I'm like, see, I told you. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I think I mean I definitely think you can over call. Like uh, I'm a pretty like say conservative caller. I don't I don't call a whole lot. Um, to me, an old timer that kind of helped me when I was young say, you know, if if they responded to you twice. And then they stop gobbling. It's because they're coming. Like they're not gobbling a whole lot as they're walking. They're probably coming. You better grab a tree and sit your butt down. Mm -hmm. So if I pique their interest and they respond, you know, pretty quick, a couple of times, I'll I'll plop my butt down and listen for leaves crunching. Um, you know, and if twenty minutes pass, I'll throw out another call if nothing's happened yet. And if he gobbled in the same spot, I know okay, I'm probably yelling. I got some things now. I got to kind of readjust and change my game plan a little bit, but. 
I killed one two years ago and, uh, you know, I, I hit one call, just one sequence. He gobbled one time. I sat my butt down. He was in my lap in five minutes. He came from a long ways too, long ways. He, it was a late morning turkey like we talked about, but, you know, I he gobbled once. I think a lot of guys would have just kept ripping on that yeah. thing and came, came right in. So, so again, it's going to depend on what they got as far as hymns, but. Do you mind me asking a selfish question on like what your calling sequence is? And if you don't feel comfortable answering, please don't. It's like a seven a seven note yelp on my slate call. Um, just pretty basic, pretty standard. Now I'll do some like real soft tree yelps if we're sitting in tight to some roosted turkeys before I do anything. One of my favorite things to do though, uh, call wise, is taking my hat off the and slapping down. it against my side, yeah, and then scratching a little bit. That's that's worked tremendously over the years. Um, but again, you know, especially if I'm tight and I'm around here, I've done my homework. I, I don't call a whole lot. I let them know I'm there and I try to let the less, the rest play out unless it's, you know, unless I'm not there right off the bat, if I'm going somewhere, you know, nine, 10 o'clock, of course, I'm going to obviously, you know, let some calls out, but yeah, yeah, yeah. if I'm already in there with them, I don't do a whole lot of calling. So yeah, it's like a seven, seven note yelp. Um, depending on the situation, you know, I'll, I'll do some cutting and stuff on it too, but you said that you like to run a slate. What are you actually running? What's in your so, pack? Man, I think it's a. It's actually the first slate call I've ever had. It's a quick. Oh yeah, Quaker boy. Um, mm-hmm. okay. I've bought the highest end slate calls. Uh, I won't, you know, mention any names forever. And nothing sounds like this cheap Quaker boy. I've had it mm-hmm. since I started turkey, which was some fifteen years ago, I think. Now, uh, love the thing to death. Um, I actually dropped it in the woods once, and I was like, oh my god, my turkey, my turkey hunting career is over. I was like, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta find this thing. So I did, I did find it, but. Uh, yeah, it's just a Quaker boy little pot call. Um, I always have mouth calls, box calls, you name it. But that's what I spend the majority of my time ripping on. So yeah. I will say, too, I have a bunch of different strikers. So, you know, some turkeys prefer, yeah. you know, you might let out some calls with one striker or with one call, and then your buddy rips on something else and they hit it. Yeah, yeah. So that happens all the time. Last year, the bird uh, Corey killed um, – I can't remember if I was yelping to it on my slate call and then he threw in a mouth call and it was just eating it up. Yeah. And it's like, like we were doing the exact same thing. It's just mm-hmm. once again, you know, that different, that, that tone, different. Yeah. Tone, yep. Yeah. And I, a fun, fun fact, most, most experienced turkey hunters may already know this, but if anybody's listening to this, it's just trying to get started. Nick mentioned, um, the striker, you know, will sound different and play around with different strikers mm-hmm. on each individual pot yeah, call definitely because each striker is going to sound differently so you might have four or five strikers in your bag hit hit all four of them and if you know if he if he hammers to one of them then put the rest of them away and just use that one yeah because they all sound a little different oh big time just like the density of the wooden stuff makes yep. a big difference in between them yep and there's some like yes. I've, I've heard of all kinds of tricks and i mean you can google it youtube it there's so many different tricks that guys will do to strikers and like you know, you know, burn the end of it so it sounds different, and then you got the strikers with the slate on the end of it, and like I mean, that plastic and yeah, yeah all I mean, kinds yeah, of different stuff, acrylics, yeah. Stuff, yeah. I actually got curious one year. I was uh, just hanging with some turkeys, so, you know, they were hung up or whatever. They were down on the bottom. I can't remember, but we were just sitting against a tree, just you know, whatever. And I pulled just pulled a stick off the ground. I was like, oh, you know, I obviously have a wood striker. So I wonder what this sounds like. And I just kind of broke off the end, made it flat, and I, I hit my slate with it. And it, 
helmet decent, you know, it's not yeah. pretty good. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> like if I ever lose my strikers for some reason, I'll just, you know, will down a stick real quick and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no joke, no joke. So, since we're on the topic of calls and stuff, like, what do you find in your in your turkey vest? What's some like go to mm-hmm. items that you keep with you all the time? Thermosel, big one. Um, water, big one. Uh, I usually just keep like a water bottle on the back of my vest, but I think I'm gonna start. Uh, I got a camel pack for like shed hunting and stuff yeah. uh, a couple years ago, and I think I'm gonna rig that up this year to put it in there just because I drink I drink a lot of water, so putting that in there. Um, Big one for me is toilet paper. <laughs> I always have that on deck Dude, yep. uh, just in case. Obviously, my calls and stuff like that. Um, trying to think of some out-of-the-box thing. Obviously, your shells, uh, a pen to write on my tag or whatever. What are you um, using so- to scratch your slate with? Emery cloth um, or what do you use? Yeah, it's, uh, or it's, it's a, brill- like a Brillo pad. Yeah, I was just going to say, kind of like the Brillo stuff. It's what came with it. It's yeah, yeah. Yeah. not sandpaper or anything like that, but yeah, just like a Brillo. So, yep. um, man, I'm trying to think what else. I go pretty light. I don't, I don't take a whole how lot many, of stuff. How many shells do you carry with you? Um, I usually have five, three obviously for my gun, and then just a couple extra. I figure if I can't kill them with that many, I probably should hang it up. <laughs> yeah, time to go home, yeah. <laughs> go buy a turkey sandwich Which- on the way home. <laughs> this, this this just reminded me since you asked that. So I'm curious to hear you guys' opinion on this. Um, we've been shooting Federal Premium TSS number nines. Yep. And two years ago, I had some leftover from the year before, obviously, and they're expensive as heck. Mm-hmm. So I went out to pattern my gun, and I was like, what on earth happened? Pattern was just completely different than the year before. Same gun, same setups, and everything. That is weird. Actually missed two turkeys that season using those shells. Uh, this year, Easton said, dude, I, you know, pattern my gun and it is, it is not what it was. Like, what is going on? I said, what kind of shells did you use? He said, I used last year's shells. I'm like, dude, is there some correlation with those things like sitting for a year? Does the powder like settle, I wonder? The wad doesn't open. The wad, you think? Oh, 100%. <laughs> really? Yeah. Shoot it on paper sometime, and you'll see your patterns like this big at like forty yards. Hmm. I'm not. Yeah, joking. he had like two stray BBs, and so last year I bought. Obviously, I bought new, but I was like, I'm not doing that again. It was great. It was perfect. So I was like, man, there's got to be some. Yeah, I, I, I don't uh, know. I don't know the science behind it, or like what causes it, or if it's moisture or what. But like, all I know is that the wad does not open, and the only reason why I know that is because it's happened to me before, and I shot it on cardboard, and I'm telling you. At, and I'm exaggerating, but at 100 yards, it was the size of a baseball. Like the the pattern just doesn't open. Yeah, it's like it, I don't know. I don't want to say like everything rusts together because that's not the right terminology. And, and I wish I knew more, and I wish I dove into it more. But like, I actually asked my old man because he's he lived in the woods, and like he he's he was my mentor in the woods my whole life. And I asked him about it and he's like, Oh yeah, your wad didn't open. He's like, sometimes if shells, you know, get a certain age or, you know, whatever, something happens to them and they just won't open. So like you're, you're basically shooting a slug is what yeah. it is. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I wonder if it has to do with like humidity or something too. Yeah. Like where yeah. you're scoring it or whatnot. Yeah. Interesting. So you're telling me I got to go out and buy a new box again this year? Well, I I wouldn't yes. I wouldn't go out and buy a new box, but I'd at least I'd shoot, shoot one shoot of it. them yeah. and see yeah. and shoot it on paper and see like if you got a hole that's the size of a baseball at 40 yards, you probably shouldn't go be shooting be, those. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. interesting because yeah. I've bought a box I don't know two years ago now, and it's like you shoot one, 
at Dude. a bird and then you put the box away and yeah, move on. So, so I just went to, I'm not going to name just a retail store in our area. Um, federal, federal TSS number nine, 12 gauge, three inch shell. It was like $70 for, yeah, five, for a five pack for a five pack. Yeah. Are you well, kidding me? Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, that's, You would, you know, you probably use, you know, one, two, three of them a season. It's like, I'm going to use the rest of them because I spent an arm and a leg on them. But right. If you're missing turkeys with them, then it's like, man, I gotta. I guess I gotta start traveling more and use them up or something. You gotta buy two boxes, like at least at least two boxes every year because you always pattern your gun with one or two rounds. Yep. I always like to pattern my gun at like a closer distance, and I like to pattern yep. it at a farther distance, so you know kind of like what you can get away with. And a lot of guns, you know, for mo- for your more experienced hunters, you already realize this. And once again, for your for your less experienced hunters. Sometimes your gun will pattern a certain way at different yardages. So, like, mm-hmm. a lot of times you can't aim dead center on the head. you got to aim a little mm-hmm. bit to the left or a little bit tall or whatever because the way your choke is, the way the barrel is, whatever, what that gun likes, it'll shoot different. So make sure you're shooting at 20 yards. Make sure you're shooting at, like, 50 yards just to see kind of how your pattern is. And then, you know, obviously you got three more rounds left. Right. That's, you, just yeah. a, that's and, a full gun then. And, you obviously and then you still need some up. extra, so there's two boxes. Yeah. So you spent one hundred and forty dollars yeah. on ammo. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. Crazy. Knowing your knowing your weapon is obviously yeah crucial. Yeah, yeah. Shoot your yeah right. I, I can't preach that enough. People go out and shoot your gun before season yeah. because, like, like Nick was saying with uh, with his ammo, you know, you you never know what'll happen. Yeah, you know, and got a red dot on there or something. You know, a battery can die. Wife can actually knock it over, accidentally knock it over, <laughs> not tell you about it. You know, like there's all kinds of stuff that can happen. Yeah. But better to take 10 minutes doing that than, you know, sulking over a miss opening day. Seriously, yeah, no, for die. real. It, does, yeah. it doesn't take any time to go shoot your gun. No. I mean, and honestly, like most people, you can go anywhere and shoot 40 yards. Yeah. I mean, that's not an excuse. Like you can go to a buddy's house, grandma's. Like, you know, if you don't have 40 yards at your house, you can find somewhere to shoot yeah. 40 yards, yeah. you know, be, you know, be for responsible. Sure. But. Anything sure. else, Kevy? Or I think I think that kind of covered everything that I wanted to talk about, at least. Nick, do you have anything that's like just beating on your chest you want to talk about for a little bit? I was gonna. I, I was looking at the notes and I, I saw you guys had like uh, stories or something like that. I was gonna share. A couple yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go do for it. it. Let's yeah. do it. They're they're not actually like successful turkey hunts, but they have to do with turkey hunting that just have happened in recent years that I thought would be interesting to share. So. Okay. Uh, the first one, I, I, I don't know who I messaged about it. It's been three years ago now, but uh, we actually, uh, we had an interaction with a, a, a turkey poaching situation. Oh, and yeah, that was, I, that was black, yeah. I just followed, uh, or I haven't spoke about this anywhere, but I just got contacted last year about it. So two years removed, two and a half actually ended up being that they, they caught the guy, which was pretty crazy. Two, it took two and a half years, and they figured out. And the, how this hap- how this uh, transpired to me is just crazy. I thought it was worth sharing. So we were hunting a property. Um, uh, it's our a relative of ours place, and uh, it was the COVID year. So there was dudes everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the neighboring properties had dudes on them. We actually had a bird like shot out from underneath of us at the first place. So we went to another place, struck up a turkey, and. Uh, he had a bunch of hens. We actually could see him on the neighbors uh, strutting with some hens. So we were just going to kind of hang there with him, let, let it get a little bit later in the morning. He would respond every once in a while. So we just kind of hung tight. They weren't moving far. Um, and we know the, the neighbors and they hunt uh, good guys, known them for years. Um, 
and they weren't there. You know, we know where they park that, you know, they weren't there. So mm-hmm. we were sitting there and all of a sudden you just hear kaboom and we couldn't see the, the turkey at the time. They had kind of moved off a little bit in this thicker stuff. We thought, no way, like, I'm not going to disclose the name, but they must have been back there and they got him. Like, oh, we didn't think they were back there. So we waited at the property line, like, you know, going to congratulate them when they come out or whatever. Yeah. And five, 10 minutes past, like, man, that's weird. And all of a sudden we see said landowner walking into the property with his like five-year-old grandson. And we're like, wait a minute. Like we thought you were just in there shooting that turkey. Like they don't let anybody hunt. They're just like, you know, us that die hard hunters. So we wave him down and uh, it comes over. We're like, did you just like shoot? Like what's going on? And he's like, what are you talking about? Somebody just shot a turkey in there. He's like, what? We just got here. Like we just pulled in. Like, dude, somebody just fired a shot like in the center of your property at a turkey that we were working. It's like, no way. So we go walking in there and uh, nobody's supposed to be there, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we ended up finding feathers and blood. And then we ended up finding where the shell was. And we were documenting the whole thing on our cameras. And I was dropping pins on Onyx of where all this transpired. So we called the game warden and uh, he actually happened to be in the area. He came right out, which I was thrilled about. Took a statement from both of us. But I've had some less than ideal experiences with game wardens in the past. I was yeah. like, this isn't going to happen to anything. Yeah. So I kind of just chalked it up. And he actually ended up retiring like a few months later. So I was like, this is scrapped. Um, couldn't turn anything up. You know, it went to some of the neighbors. Nothing happened, which is what I assumed. Mm-hmm. Well, lo and behold, I get a call like a year later from like some investigator. And he was like, hey, you know, I'm picking up this case from X, Y, and Z. And it took me a minute to even realize what he was talking about. <laughs> what what so are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, holy cow. Okay. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm so-and-so retired. I'm kind of picking up a couple things he left behind and just wanted to, you know, ask you some questions. So it started asking me some questions. I turned over, I think I turned over some of the video and uh, the, the pins and everything like that. And again, thought, man, it's a year removed. This is a long shot. No yeah. way. So I forgot about it. And then like six months later, he calls me. He was like, hey, I just wanted to let you know that uh, we called the guy. I was like, what? So what they did is they got a warrant for to pull phone records. Because I had the pins dropped, they could pull from the satellite that specific area. So including including our cell phones. Um, and they found that, you know, where exactly we had the pin dropped, where the shot was fired, dude's cell phone. Um so that's, they tracked him down. Where he Isn't that insane? That's crazy. Isn't that insane? That's huge. Yeah. Chalk one up for the ODNR. I mean, like you said, yeah. I'm not trying to bash him, but I've had some bad luck with like trying to do the right thing and just nothing happened. Yeah. The fact yeah. that they pulled the... So wait, explain that to me. So they just pulled like a location of the phone or like did he make a phone call and said, I just shot him or like what happened? Yeah, so I, I was a little unclear of what all they could go through and see, but from my understanding, they were able to, anything that happened within that window of time on that specific day, they could see. So if you wanted to go through my phone and look at my text message or whatever, it, it sounds like you could see, which I didn't know that was wow. possible. Oh. But yeah, I think there was like a, <laughs> it's like a privacy thing. <laughs> well, it was pretty easy too, because we had the exact location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the middle of the so woods. Phone, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that phone matched that exact spot. I don't, I can't remember if he had like sent a picture or whatever, but... He said, he's like, yeah, you know, they went out to his house and everything. And the dude, I guess, was just shocked. Like, <laughs> so he admitted-, you know, he, he admitted to everything, but he was like, I, I had just never even a thought that this would turn into anything. Don't go, don't go into detail, but um, 
I remember I remember this conversation because I think Black Black saw you guys saw your truck or saw you guys at your truck talking to the game warden. That's we messaged you or you know that was that happened a couple years ago. But I remember talking to you, um, you know, messaging back and forth that you kind of had a suspicion of who it was. Was it that person that you were that you thought no. it was? No, 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 really, no. And he tried, you know. Kudos to the DNR. It kind of ended up being a slap on the wrist. Like he didn't lose his hunting license or anything. And I didn't. I told him. I said I don't want him to. Like I just want him to know that like these things can be caught. Because the way I looked at it was like, you know, he tried to say he wasn't sure of the property lines, but it literally happened in the center of a giant property. Like yeah. it wasn't close to any it was property like a, lines at yeah. all. So that was that was BS. But my hope was okay. Like a lot of times you you are who you surround yourself with, right? Mm-hmm. So if he's doing it, he's probably got a group of buddies that do the same crap. So I thought maybe like he'll be like, guys, we gotta cut this crap out. Yeah. Like I got caught two years removed. That was kind of my thought. And I told the guy, I was like, I don't want this dude to, you know, lose his hunting license or anything. I just want it to be a lesson. So I think he had to pay like a fine and stuff, okay. uh, or rest- restitution maybe, whatever for the turkey. But it was just crazy because I had kind of forgot about it, and we were gonna film a video, kind of like recapping it because we had filmed one about the actual yeah, event. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I hadn't I hadn't really told anybody that, but I thought that was pretty interesting because I knew you guys were yeah yeah we you know, were invested yeah yeah. Stuff, so. yeah 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 that's awesome. Was it a? See, I'm always so nosy. Like, don't answer <laughs> anything you don't want to answer. But like, was it a young kid, middle aged guy, old guy, middle like, aged, middle aged? So he he yeah. he well knew what he was doing yeah. is what I'm getting at. Yeah, it wasn't some dumb kid yeah. that made like a bad decision. Yeah, what bothered me so much and like really like really bothered me is. So that landowner was taking his five-year-old grandson, right? So I'm all about like getting getting people kids. hooked, right? Yeah, I remember yeah. being a kid and getting hooked, and I was like, "This is this poor kid's first experience being surrounded by a bunch of dudes that are pissed because yeah. we were we were livid." Yeah. And then like us video and stuff, game warden, like this was that kid's. He was supposed to go out with his grandpa and have a fun turkey hunt, and this is what he got to be involved with. Yeah. So that was the biggest thing that bugged me. Um, obviously, losing the turkey we're hunting sucks, but you know that was what really kind of got under my skin but uh, yeah i was thrilled like i said that that they kind of like were persistent with it i i like you said not to bash him i just didn't have much much faith but we got a a different game board in the area and he's the man like he's on top of it uh i call him about you know deadheads i find and stuff and he's right on top of it getting salvage tags and everything else like the guy's on it so that's cool i have a feeling if something like that happens in the future it'll be resolved like quick uh but given the circumstances yeah i was pretty pretty pleased with that dude that's awesome that's like good seriously i can't emphasize it enough chalk one up for the dnr because yes. you know and i know they're understaffed and i realize that and i have yeah. i have all the respect in the world for them but i i will say that like it's hard you know their job's hard and a lot of times we'll report stuff and it just seems like nothing happens but you know two years later look at it you know yeah. they're, they're still yeah. out there working so. And I know they probably don't get compensated like they should either. Yeah. Uh, I know they. I know they have busy jobs and a lot going on. There's especially with how many hunters there are now. You know, yeah. there's one. It's just one, one per, per county, county in yeah. all of Ohio, right? Yeah, one yeah, per I county. So. Yep. I know for so. our county, I've had nothing but good experiences with. I've ran into him a few times, and he's he's yeah. a sweet dude. Yeah, yeah. Most nice. of them are good dudes. Yeah. Just, they just don't have the time. Yeah. You know, and that's not their well, fault. That's the DNR. That's that's the Ohio. It's, it's um, the the higher ups. Yeah, that, not yeah. allowing any funds to hire some more game wardens. Yeah. You know, 
what I found too is like, you know, building that relationship, which it sounds like, sounds like you, you guys do too, but like building that relationship goes a long way too. Like it's to the point now where, you know, I've called our game board so many times when I found like deadheads and stuff that he's like, dude, if you find one, just text, like text me a picture of it. I'll send you the solid tag in the mail just because he knows I'm like, you know, going to do the right thing with it or whatever. So like yeah. building that relationship, I think helps too. Like in the future, if you have a problem like that, they're probably going to put you at the top of the list as opposed to just some, you know, some, some other guy, random, which, call, random call. Yeah. 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 But couldn't, couldn't so the other one I was going to share just happened a week ago. And I thought I would share it with you guys. Cause I know you guys go out and coyote hunt sometimes. Um, I like trapping coyotes, but I mentioned earlier that in the evenings only, I'll sometimes howl from a, a distance to try to locate turkeys. Um, I was right out back here and I slipped back at gray light and uh, I let out a coyote howl. And sure enough, where I expected turkeys to be um, pretty far off, they got like, cool. So they're where I thought they were going to be, you know, whatever, confirmed. And I started hearing some rustling and uh, I was like, oh man, there must have been some deer hanging tight that were kind of watching me. I couldn't see them because of the gray light. And now I howled and they're like, I'm getting the heck out of here. Yeah. So I just kind of was looking and all of a sudden I just see three coyotes just barreling down on me, just full force, just sprinting at me. So I obviously didn't have a gun or anything. So I just pulled my phone out and just hit record. I'm like, I don't know what's about to go down, but. <laughs> They came all the way into like 20 yards and then just slammed on the brakes and saw, okay, there's a guy in a purple flannel. That's not a coyote. Holy smokes. And uh, they just stood there and ran off to like 100 yards and, and just stood out there and just were barking at me. Like the creepiest, like deep, just like these barks just over yeah, and over. Yeah, and yeah. chills down my spine. Oh, I, I, just, I bet. I've That's... done that a thousand times over the years. You know, I, I do that every spring and – to have that happen, I was just like, man, that was wicked. That's crazy. <laughs> well, I, so, I will say I know a few buddies of mine that like to go shoot them, so whenever you get some time, feel free to message us, and I'm sure they'd be okay to come over and smack some for you. So you should ask them because this – so I've actually asked a couple guys, and they've turned me down because this property is all timber. They said they only hunt them in fields at night with thermals. Yeah. Which – I don't, can you, I mean, I assume you can still call them in in the woods, right? Yeah, yeah. but it's. I it's think hard. trees heat, uh, keep the heat a lot yeah. more than like the open oh, okay. field. So okay. that, that's just my thoughts on it though. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I don't personally do the thermal stuff. That's black and Stevie, but um, okay. I could ask them about it and see what their thoughts yeah. are. Yeah. I've asked a couple guys and they just said, oh, we don't, unless you have a field. And I'm like, okay. And like I would trap them, but I don't trap in the woods because you end up catching so many non-targets. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I do. You have I any? Uh, well, maybe we'll talk off air. We'll talk off air, so we're not. We'll ask some more questions off air. But anything, anything else that you, other than getting mauled by some coyotes <laughs> and uh, poaching turkeys, any other cool stories? And I mean, I've had some some awesome turkey hunts. Uh, I guess more recently, what I'm really looking forward to in the turkey woods, I don't, I don't have kids of my own, but uh, my brother's got four little ones and his oldest, Eli, is turning six this year. And, you know, part of the reason I think my mindset's changed so much is I want I want him to have, like, I want him to be the kid in school that's having, like, the dynamite turkey hunts. Like, yeah. you, know, you know, we went out opening weekend or youth league or whatever and, like, Smack you know, had an yeah. epic hunt. Yeah, yeah. So he's getting ready to get into it, you know, probably next year. And so that's why, you know, some of these properties were really trying to kind of baby and make sure that when he gets into it, he's going to be hooked. Because I attribute me being hooked to having those experiences. Like, I think if you go out as a new hunter and you don't hear a turkey, you're probably not going to be very ate up with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree um, more. Couldn't agree more. So 
as you know, I've had a lot of fun hunts, uh, you know, recently, but I'm, I'm more so looking forward to, to what's going to go down with him. Like it's going to be, it's going to be all about him, you know, when, when the season rolls around, he's going to yeah. get first dibs on the best property. So looking, looking forward to that. But That's awesome. That's yeah, as far cool. as fun hunts recently, I, I mean, they're all fun in my eyes, you know, like they're all so different and you never know what to expect. So, uh, the people that you meet, the, you know, the camp atmosphere, spending time with family, all that stuff, meeting some of these landowners and everything like that's, those are the highlights for me, but yeah, it's all part of the journey, you yeah. know? Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, do you want to let the people know where they can find you at on social media, YouTube, all that good stuff? And then we got a final question that we have not prepped you for. Um, and we kind of like to end it that way. Cool. Yeah, well, thank you guys again. You can find us at The Venari Effect on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the question is, what have you learned from hunting that you can apply to your everyday life? Oh, man, it's probably going to sound cliche, but it's got to be the work ethic. Um, like, you get out what you put in, and that's in so many things in life. But I've learned that so much with hunting, um, especially over the last, like, five years. I just... I love it so much. So it's easy to put that time in. Mm -hmm. Um, but the success that happens every year is undoubtedly because of that. Uh, yep. there's never really a time where I just kind of waltzed out into the woods and went willy nilly, but I know a lot of people that do that in deer and turkey hunting and they don't have the, the success. You know, I heard a, a statistic once and it, it was, I'm probably going to misquote this, but it was like 10% of hunters kill 80% of the game or something yeah. like that. Yeah, something no, like that. Uh, yeah. I've heard that. Too, I don't know yeah. if those are exact numbers, but uh, I think that's just because of guys like you and I that, that I mean, we put so much time in. Um, so yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that work ethic translates over to my job, to my relationships, um, you know, to, to just being a person that, you know, interacts with strangers or whatever, that just that work ethic and that care uh, definitely is, is something that I noticed translate over to, to my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure once we hang up this call, I'm going to think of something else, but no, yeah. I, I no, like that good one. one we haven't heard the work ethic. <laughs> no. yet. Normally everybody says patience and, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad answer, but I like, I like thinking outside the box and I like the work ethic because I, I firmly believe that the amount of work that you put in will dictate your season. Mm -hmm. Now it's still a wild animal. It's still, you know, you, there's still things Other out elements there that you can't yeah. control. But like, you know, the amount of work that you put in definitely is going to swing your success one way or the other, in yeah. my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Just like with the habitat stuff too, like we're trying to, like I said, really get into that from a turkey aspect. I mean, we do it already for deer. Like I love, you know, planting trees, uh, yep. you know, cutting timber and, you know, releasing the canopy for oaks to thrive or whatever. But like with turkeys, we've been really experimenting a lot. And I really want to see how that translates to, you know, the work ethic of spending that time, that very intentional time, how that translates to producing turkeys basically. Mm -hmm. um, and whether you go and shoot them or not great, but seeing that kind of come to life, like I have a, a burnout back here. We've been burning some of the timber specifically for the turkeys, just simply to remove that, that layer of leaf litter and expose the nuts and the bugs and everything like that. And, uh, I went back there to try to check on it this morning. We just finished another burn last night and I got almost back to it. And I heard a turkey just hammer in the burn. So I turned around and left. Yeah. And so tonight, right before the podcast, I walked back there. I wanted to check on, it. I just wanted to see, to be honest with you, make sure nothing was still, <laughs> still kind of hot. <laughs> back yeah. There. Yeah, yeah. But went back there tonight and I got to like a hundred yards and I just saw three redheads in it. So I turned around and left again. So like, 
I love that. Of like, we spent the money, we spent the time, we, you know, planned stuff. We contacted the fire department, uh, you know, all that stuff. And then now I'm seeing results like mm-hmm. that. That to me is better than, or more gratifying or satisfying than, than anything. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love that's it. That's cool. I love it. Obviously, I mean, for anybody listening and it's still in this podcast with us, we greatly appreciate it, but please appreciate how, you know, passionate Nick is about this. I mean, you're not going to find somebody that and that's another reason why, you know, we wanted to have you on for this Turkey podcast series is because we know from your social media and following you guys for the last, you know, four or five years, that you guys are like, this is your game, like Turkey hunting. You guys are so passionate about it. And it's just like, I respect the heck out of that because a lot of guys just think it's a dumb bird. And, you know, sometimes even me included, it's like, ah, hey, it's just a Turkey. But then you got to really sit back and realize that like, you know, like if we want, if we want to do something about this, we got to do something about it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I yeah. like that. I like that. But yeah, no, I, I appreciate you coming on, Nick. And we want to be cautious of your time. And I'm, you know, we could talk for hours. And, you know, I know how you're fired up about yep. turkeys too, but we, we got to be cautious of your time and we got to, we got to cut this one out. Yeah. But we appreciate Well, you. I appreciate, I appreciate the kind words. And, and likewise, I, I surely don't know it all. And like I said, I'm, a lot of that stuff in there, I'm, I'm still learning about myself. But thanks for having me on again. I wish I wish the other guys could have joined, but life, you know, life's happening right yeah, now. Yeah, we're so, we're uh, shorthanded too, yeah, and I'm it sure it happens. I'm sure Kevin will talk about that in the intro. But we got a bunch of guys that are expecting their first children, and like, yeah, we just got, when they gotta go, they gotta go. Yeah. you know, it's yeah. just they gotta be dads. So I get yeah, it. Yeah, I saw I saw Zach was expecting. I was gonna congratulate him. If you, if yeah, here, yeah, he's. Awesome. Yeah, he's taking care of stuff, and and Jarrett yeah. Jarrett's actually expecting it as well, and and they're taking oh, care of stuff. So, good. It might be Kevin and I for a while. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good deal. But all right, let's wrap Already, this thing. Yeah. Up. Well, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. So hey, do, thanks, guys. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You can always be born again, and born again is out. Peace.